right there. Happy New Year to everyone who's listening. I am Peter Andresani. I will be your host for today. This is episode 35 of the Take This L Sports Podcast. My brother, my co-host, my confidant, Matthew Garber, will not be with us today. He is living it up in Florida right now. Good for him. Um, This week has been pretty crazy. Honestly, I was going to take the week off because of Matthew not being here and, you know, with the festivities of the new year and everything like that. But this week was pretty crazy, honestly, when it comes to sports. I know it was mostly just football and everything like that, but so much happened that I figured I had to do it. And it's also right now, I'm coming at you, when you hear this, it'll probably be the same day. I'm actually coming at you right now at 1239, Monday, January 4th. I apologize if you hear me breathing a lot. I feel a little bit under the weather today, so if you hear me breathing into the mic quite often, I'm a little bit short of breath today, but... Let's just get into it. There is a lot to talk about. The first thing I want to say is I hope everyone had a fun and healthy new year. It is a new year. 2020 is finally over with. Thank God. That doesn't mean that people's problems aren't going to carry over until 2021, but the physical term 2020 is over. Thank God. So that's half the battle, I feel like, with a lot of people. Here's to a happy new year. Just, you know, let's... Let's be happy. Let's try and be happy this year. So much went down. I mean, this is like, I feel like we're jumping from 2019 straight to 2021 because what happened in 2020? Besides for, you know, the coronavirus and everything like that, what ha- what could you have done that year? I'm just thankful for 2020 that my family and myself, all my friends got through the year healthy. That is the num- That's the name of the game right there. So I'm glad that everyone that is near and dear to me got through the year happy and healthy. I don't know how happy, but healthy for the most part, which is good. So here's to a happy and healthy 2021. I hope everyone prospers this year. Let's make this the best year ever after the crappiest year ever. So I think that I I just want to jump right into something actually that maybe you guys don't know about. Um, January 2nd was Take This L Sports one year anniversary. And it means a lot to Matthew and I. It's kind of upsetting to me that Matthew and I weren't able to celebrate together. Uh, We weren't able to do anything. You know, he was in Florida. I understand that. That's perfectly okay. I wish him the best. I hope that he had a great time. I actually don't know if he's on the plane ride back home right now. I haven't heard from him in a little while, so I'm assuming he's on the plane ride home. But it it was nice. We did it. You know, we exchanged text messages and stuff like that. I also created a little anniversary gift for Matthew himself. If you go to our YouTube channel, uh, we've never changed our YouTube banner before. It was always the original from last year, and I worked like six hours. I'm not very good with anything, honestly, on the computer. I mean, I've self-taught myself a lot, but uh, I was Photoshopping a bunch of stuff together. I came up with the YouTube banner, so if you go to YouTube at Take This L Sports, you'll see our brand new banner. I think it looks cool. Matthew thinks it looks cool. Uh, I was just excited to give him something like that and give us a little bit of a fresh look. So that's always cool. 2021 is going to be a big year for us, I feel like. Um, We already got, I already have a guest coming on within the next couple weeks. Uh, I'm not going to disclose really any information. He talks a lot about the Jets. You might know him on Twitter if you are a Jet fan. He's a really cool dude, very down to earth. He sounded extremely excited to come on whenever we wanted him to come on. So that was always cool. 
always nice with someone with a bigger platform, just very willing to come on and, and talk with us. It's always a pleasure. And I, I just love when that kind of stuff happens. He's a super nice kid. His name is Matt. Um, you know, we have new equipment coming. Um, we are going to start filming with cameras and stuff like that, which is great. I know you guys hear my voice, but I know everyone wants to see our faces too. Um, that's what we originally started with when we were in the Iona podcast booth. Uh, unfortunately, due to the 2020 circumstances, we weren't able to really get anything like that. We don't really have a camera and everything like that. And we just didn't have the equipment, even if we had a camera. It wouldn't have been as good. And we want to give you the best quality content that we can. Excuse me as I take a drink of water. But I just want to say that it's, it's really, really exciting. We have a lot of cool stuff coming. We have a lot of new segments coming up. There's really so much more that you can do when you have a camera, when you have a visual audience. So we're just extremely excited to tap back into that market and really get you guys the best, not only YouTube quality, but just the best podcast quality as well. You know, we have new microphones on the way and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's going to be a great 2021 night. I can't thank you guys enough for actually being on this journey with us and looking forward to it. I, I get people texting us, when are we going to get merch and when are we, you know, when are, when are we going to see more of your faces and stuff? So it's honestly, it's very humbling for people actually to go out of their way to text me that they like our content. I feel like I force me and Matthew, we force our content onto our friends and stuff like that, but we've really been trying not to do that. And it, it's very inspiring to see people text us and, oh, can't wait to see what you guys do in 2021. So I can't really thank you enough. And I know I speak for Matthew as well, saying that we just can't thank you enough for all your continued support. I mean, there are just so many people that I, I could sit here for hours and talk about the people that I want to thank about their unconditional support. You know, my parents, my girlfriend, my uncle Michael, my friends, Ethan, Christian, Chris. I know Matthew has about a million people that he wants to thank on his side. His mother, Susan, always supporting us. She's the best. Uh, it's just, it's overwhelming the support that we get considering where we started from and the fact that we're only just over a year old. We're considered still a baby. So I just hope you guys are here in the long haul to see us grow and grow and hopefully we can make something really, really awesome out of this. So I just wanted to start it off thanking you with that, talking about what's ahead. The first thing that I want to get into is the New Year's Day college football results because it just has so many implications on the NFL as well. So I'll take you to the first game between Alabama and Notre Dame. Um, that was the Rose Bowl, and it was also held in Arlington, Texas, not Pasadena because of the COVID restrictions in California. Alabama thoroughly dominated number four Notre Dame, 31-14. Um, even that scoreline doesn't really show what the game... This game honestly could have been like 62-14. to 14. Uh, Alabama dominated from beginning to end. They were kind of on coast mode after... I think it was halftime, it was like 21 to 7, but it really felt like it was a lot more. Um, from a prospect standpoint, I feel like the two guys that benefited the most from this, I mean, Patrick Sartan played really well on the defensive side of the ball for Alabama. He's the consensus number one overall cornerback going into the 2021 draft. He had a good game. I don't really have the numbers on him right there, but I'm actually going to pull up the numbers for the two guys that I believe had the best game. Number one, I mean, just go to Devontae Smith. I mean, the dude, I, I don't really believe, because of the poor years that the, like Jerry Judy and Henry, Henry Ruggs, excuse me, Henry Ruggs have had this year. Uh, Henry Ruggs, I don't even think he topped like 400 receiving yards, or even if he did it, he just had a disappointing year. And Jerry Judy, 
didn't top a thousand yards, but he was just a non-factor in most games. Uh, to me, it was disappointing, honestly. And Devonte Smith is a different animal. I feel like he is just like the most dominant guy. He always, I feel like he goes out there and he just, he just dominates every single time. I mean, the guy, I feel like he consist- consistently gets like ten to twelve catches a game. I mean, if we look at his stats right here, in it's seven catches, 130 yards, and three touchdowns, solidifying himself. Let's see if I could pull up his stats here. So he has 105 catches on the season for 1,641 yards and 20 touchdowns, which he equals the SEC record for touchdown receptions in a season with Jamar Chase, who did it last year. That's another guy that is probably going to be a first-round talent as well. Devontae Smith, he his his height and his weight doesn't jump out at you. He's 6'1", 175 pounds. But his route running and his speed, his hands, he's just so strong. I don't know what it is about this kid, but he's just always open. He finds a soft spot in the zone. He's just an incredible talent. And honestly, I'll get into him a little bit later when I talk about the Jets draft pick and everything like that. But Devontae Smith is a beast. I think that this solidified him as the number one receiver over Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddell, who is another Alabama wide receiver that everyone kind of forgets about because I think he tore his hamstring or something like that earlier on in the season in October, and, you know, he's kind of like a non-factor right now, but he's still going to be a first-round talent. So that's incredible to see. The other prospect I really want to get into in this game was Mac Jones, the quarterback of Alabama. And that's another thing, too. I don't really trust Alabama quarterbacks. I feel like the only position that Nick Saban and company doesn't produce well is Alabama quarterbacks. We'll get into uh, Tua Tagovailoa in a little while. But Mac Jones played really, really well. He had, uh, let me pull it up right here. He was 25 for 30 for 297 yards and four touchdowns. Made it look super easy. Uh, He's had an incredible year. He's thrown for over 4,000 yards, 36 touchdowns, four interceptions. Um, To me, I don't know if this will make sense for anyone else. He just screams New England Patriots to me. I don't know for sure if Mac Jones is a top talent. I think he has won the first to third round talent. But he just screams New England. I feel like Mac Jones would succeed the most in New England under Bill Belichick. So that's something to keep an eye out for. I was talking to my father about that earlier on yesterday, too, that I just said Mac Jones just screams New England to me. Bill Belichick's probably salivating over Mac Jones. I mean, you saw what he did. This was the first time in, really, Bill Belichick's career that he had a mobile quarterback in Cam Newton. And I don't know if it's just Cam being you know, washed up or not as good as he once was, that it didn't really look like Bill Belichick had a great game plan with a mobile quarterback. So Mac Jones really isn't that mobile. He's more of a pocket passer. So this is really where um, Bill Belichick, like, shines. Pocket passers, obviously Tom Brady was a pocket passer. He never blew you away with his speed or anything like that. But uh, Mac Jones screams New England Patriots to me. Let's see. I'm going to make that call right now saying Mac Jones gets drafted by the Patriots. Hopefully I'm right. Uh, hopefully I'm wrong as well because I am a Jet fan and I just feel like Mac Jones would burn the Jets. Well, really anyone would burn the Jets. But um, another quick guy, I just want to talk about Najee Harris, who had a monster game. He had 15 carries, 125 yards. He looks like a legitimate first-round running back as well. He's a beast. I don't know if you guys saw that hurdle. He completely jumped over the defender. It was absolutely crazy. Najee Harris is an insane running back. He's an insane athlete overall. He's a good receiver as well. I feel like he just kind of gets lost in the shuffle with Devontae Smith and Mac Jones really just taking over the headlines every week. 
But Najee Harris is going to be a fantastic back in the National Football League. I do believe that. So 31-14 was the score of the Rose Bowl. It wasn't ever really close. Uh, next game I want to get into, which everyone is talking about, is the All-State Sugar Bowl between number three Ohio State and number two Clemson. Ohio State blew out Clemson 49-28. to And this, um, again, the scoreline isn't really that close, but it's it still doesn't even do justice. I feel like this game could have easily been won by another couple touchdowns by Ohio State. Justin Fields just absolutely burnt toast the Clemson defense. It was something to lo and behold. I think he had more incompletions than touchdowns. No, he had less incompletions than touchdowns, actually. No, he equaled it. He did throw for six touchdowns, and he had six incompletions, which is absolutely crazy. Um, Trevor Lawrence as well on the other side. He, I like how this stat line is a bad game, where he had 400 passing yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Um, the Ohio State defensive line, once they got up by, I'd say about two or three touchdowns, just absolutely turned it up. Uh, I'm blanking on the defensive coordinator for Ohio State right now, but he just turned up the pressure and Trevor Lawrence really had no chance once they got far back because that defensive line clearly outmatched Clemson's offensive line. Uh, Travis Etienne also didn't really have the greatest game. He had 10 carries for 32 yards and a touchdown. Um... This game was crazy on so many levels. I watched actually the entire game, and believe it or not, Justin Fields did look like the better quarterback over Trevor Lawrence. I know that everyone knows that I haven't been super high on Justin Fields. Um, it might have turned the tide a little bit in my mind, honestly, because he did look fantastic. Granted, Clemson doesn't really have a great secondary at all, but to absolutely just dominate Clemson the way that he did is something to definitely take in consideration. And um, also on the Ohio State side of the ball, Trey Sermon also played a fantastic game. I'm, I forgot to mention him as well. He had a slow start to the season, uh, didn't really come into full form. I believe that he's a, a transfer from Oklahoma, and he never really got a shot over there, and he's really getting his opportunity uh, at Ohio State, and he played fantastic. He had 31 carries, 193 yards, and a touchdown. Let me pull up the stats, the receiving stats as well. I believe that he had four ca catches for 61 yards. Uh, Chris Olav as well played extremely well. He kind of turned it on. He had six catches, 132 yards, and two touchdowns. He is silky smooth in his route running, and it just shows that him and Fields have incredible chemistry on that side of the ball. Um, this changes a lot. This game definitely opened up some eyes. A lot of people said that Ohio State weren't good enough to be in the college football playoffs, myself included. I thought that six games wasn't a, a big enough sample size, especially since they didn't really play anyone that notable. Um, I, I thought that Clemson was really going to run away with this game. And, I mean, from from the beginning, it, it looked good. The first drive, um, Trevor Lawrence and company marched down the field. And Lawrence rushed in for a touchdown. I thought it was going to be one of those games where it was just going to be back and forth, back and forth. And for a little bit it was, but then Ohio State just absolutely dominated. And Justin Fields dropped back and threw 385 yards, and he was on fire the entire game. And he was also injured as well. Um, I forget the linebacker from Clemson's name who did drill him in the hip, which was not a ejectable offense, by the way, in my opinion. But he was playing basically hurt all game. And to show that he, he went out there and just torched the defense where he was hurt for basically the whole second half really, really says something to me. And it changes my opinion a little bit on Justin Fields, honestly, because it might change a lot of people's opinion. Uh, make no mistake about it. 
anything that you hear about the first overall pick coming up, I I think it's it's false. I I think regardless, Trevor Lawrence is still going to be the number one overall pick. I think this game really doesn't do anything. He was playing from behind the entire game. His defense didn't help him out. His offensive line didn't help him out. I think he gets sort of a pass, even though there were plays where he didn't really look like a number one overall pick, but everyone has their off games. And of course, on national televised TV, Trevor Lawrence didn't really have his best game, so everyone's going to have doubt. And Justin Fields had his best game of the season, probably in his career. So of course, there's going to be some talk of one and two, maybe flipping. But make no mistake about it, Trevor Lawrence, in my opinion, is still the number one quarterback in this draft class, and it's not even close. But Justin Fields did close the gap a little bit. I don't think it's as wide as we once thought where it was, oh, Fields is just one of those Ohio State guys like Dwayne Haskins who's going to throw 50 touchdowns and he's going to be nothing in the NFL. Um, I don't like Justin Fields coming from Ohio State. I don't trust Ohio State quarterbacks. I mean, you see who, who's come out of there. You got JT Barrett, um, Braxton Miller, you know, like I said, Dwayne Haskins, well, Car- Cardell Jones as well. You know, no one who's really panned out at all in the NFL. So that's where I kind of have most of my concern is like that. But that's also an Urban Meyer offense, not a Ryan Day offense. But I think it's true now that it's very it's very clear that Justin Fields can play at an elite level. Um, this is this is stuff that we've that we haven't seen from guys at Ohio State previously, like like Haskins and Jones and all that kind of stuff. So I think the gap isn't as isn't as wide as people think. I I think Justin Fields has a legitimate case to even be the number one overall pick. Uh, in my opinion, that would be amazing because I am, as you, me and Matthew are humongous Jet fans, and we want Trevor Lawrence, and that would be amazing. But that's not going to happen. Jacksonville knows exactly what they're doing. They're going to take Trevor Lawrence. I just think that this game was interesting from a casual fan's perspective where it was like, oh, now it looks like Justin Fields is going to be better than Trevor Lawrence because Justin Fields beat Trevor Lawrence. That's not the case at all. You know, it's a team game. They didn't just go out there and and out-duel each other like that. I I mean, Ohio State played thoroughly dominant football and Clemson did not even show up. So, Uh, And Trevor Lawrence still threw for 400 yards and two touchdowns and it was considered a bad game. But Hats off to Justin Fields. He proved a lot of people wrong. He shut me up for a little while, actually. I, I think Justin Fields will be a successful quarterback in the NFL. Um, maybe just not as ex- successful as Trevor Lawrence. But this is a, a, another thing, too, now Now I definitely want to say. I'll get a little bit more into it when, we do the, when I do the NFL recap. But I think that the performances on Saturday – I'm sorry, Friday, goodness um, – the performance on Friday with Ohio State and Clemson spells the end for Sam Darnold in New York. And pardon me, I'm really struggling over here. <laughs> um, I believe that it, it definitely spells the end for Sam. I mean, they're either going to take, I feel like, Zach Wilson or Justin Fields with the number two overall pick. There are a couple other guys that we can get into, but just the performance that Sam had on Sunday as well against a very porous Patriots defense, um, it's it's just it's too telling. I can't I can't deny it any longer. I think that he's definitely done. So that's all I'm going to say about that for right now. I'll get into it a little bit more later on. Uh, I will also get into who I believe the Jets will go with number two when we talk about you know the Jets. I don't want to talk too much about the Jets right now. 
Um, getting into the NFL, actually, this is really just going to be a football-based show. It's going to be shorter than usual. Um, coming into this is Black Monday, but it started off as Black Sunday for the Jets. Can finally rejoice. Jet fans can rejoice. Breathe a, a little bit of a breath of fresh air. Adam Gase and the Jets parted ways. They fired his ass. I'm so excited uh, to say that Adam Gase is no longer the coach of the New York Jets, and it was a long time coming. He should have never got the job to begin with. 9-23 as the, as the coach of the New York Jets. Last year wasn't as telling. They had a very soft schedule and finished 7-9. and nine. Also, Anthony Lynn was just fired this morning from the Chargers. Uh, I believe he was 33-31 and 31 as the head coach. Um, if there was a second worst head coach in the NFL, I believe that it was Anthony Lynn. Uh, I think he's a great defensive-minded coach. He he seems like Todd Bowles to me, honestly. Where he can't, he'll never be able to succeed as a head coach because he has no clock management, no idea about how the game flow goes. You know, he he just can't adapt time-wise, and it was very clear in games past that he doesn't know how to manage the clock. He just doesn't. He's never. It doesn't seem like he's sure of himself ever. So I hope that he does find a job on the defensive side of the ball because he's extremely talented on that side. But he didn't really prove to be a good head coach. And I think that if you get the season that Justin Herbert had with Anthony Lynn as his head coach, imagine getting an offensive-minded coach um, in there, which would be absolutely amazing for him. And also the last fire up until this point was Jacksonville finally parted ways with Doug Marone. I feel like this is years in the making. Uh, Doug Marone just never really worked out there. The one year that they went to the AFC Championship game was obviously his best year. Um, I don't know. Doug Marone is just kind of blah for me. Like, I don't have anything really bad to say about him. I don't really have anything good to say about him. He is a New Yorker, so I'll say that. But Doug Marone just overstayed his welcome in Jacksonville. It's time for a fresh start. Obviously, they're going to take Trevor Lawrence with the number one overall pick. There are so many good head coaching candidates out there. I'll, I'll label a few here. You got... Obviously, Eric Bieniemy um, from the Andy Reid coaching tree. He has been for the last couple of years now a head coaching candidate, and I believe that he will finally make the jump this year. He's a fantastic offensive mind. Arthur Smith from Tennessee is also a fantastic offensive mind, and if you want a rushing game plan, you go to Arthur Smith. Look at what he did for Derrick Henry this year and last year, and we'll get into that in a little while with Derrick Henry. But um, Arthur Smith, well, Pat, if we go, oh, I'll, I'll say one more. Um, two more actually, NFL coaches, there's actually a few more I, I forgot to mention, so I'll say Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator from the Bills as well, look at what he has done to that offense the last couple of years, obviously they have given him the pieces to work with, Josh Allen has taken a massive, massive leap in year three, and I think that Dable has a lot to do with that. Um, another head coaching, offensive-minded head coach, if that's what you want to call him, Candidate that I was hearing, uh, Brian Schottenheimer, the offensive coordinator from Seattle. We know, us Jet fans know exactly who Brian Schottenheimer is, and we could tell you from experience that, no, he would not be a good head coach. Brian Schottenheimer was the offensive coordinator for the Jets when Rex Ryan was around. Uh, just no. No. I wouldn't... <laughs> I read a report from, I think it was like Chris Mortensen or something like that, saying that the Jets will have some interest in Brian Schottenheimer as head coach. Just no. Please. Just... Just save us. Save us the heartache and don't even report something like that. Please. Um, from college, I'd say that you got a, a few. I've been talking about Matt Campbell for the for like 
since the beginning of this podcast, but also for a couple years now, Iowa State head coach has turned that program around like crazy. Uh, he's a great offensive mind. He's young. Uh, I think he can make the leap. He's similar to a Cliff Kingsbury to me with just not as handsome and a little bit more stability. Uh, he also reminds me of a Matt Rule, who is obviously a Take the Cell Sports podcast favorite around here if you've been listening for a long time. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald, the head coach of Northwestern, was garnering a lot of interest from the Jets. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald has turned that Northwestern program around over the past couple years. Uh, I'm big in coaches that can turn a program around. Northwestern was kind of like mid-table, like not really that great. Like, they're yeah, they're okay, but they're not good. Like, for years, as long as I can remember. They've been borderline bad a couple years as well, like three and nine seasons. But Pat Fitzgerald turned that program around, and that really speaks to me. Um, another one that I want to get into is Urban Meyer. Uh, I, you know, I'm not big with big-time college coaches making the jump. I mean, there are obviously some exceptions. Like, you look at Pete Carroll, who had all that success at USC, and then now look at what he's done in the NFL in his second go-around. Everyone forgets that Pete Carroll was the head coach of the Jets for a season, and he didn't really do that well. You look at Nick Saban. Like, Nick Saban wasn't anything special when he was the head coach. I, I don't... I think he was the head coach of the Bills. I, I Don't quote me on that, but... He was nothing to lo and behold. So, you know, like, same thing here with Urban Meyer. I feel like he doesn't do it for me. Like, I heard that as soon as, you know, Doug Marone gets fired in Jacksonville, Urban Meyer is going to take over. And, and I, I don't know how I feel about that. Wouldn't you want to get an NFL mind in there if you're going to take probably a generational quarterback talent in Trevor Lawrence? Wouldn't you want to get an Eric the Enemy in there? Someone who has worked with a Hall of Famer like Andy Reid, who made Kevin Cobb a thing for a while. Yeah, Kevin Cobb was a decent quarterback under Andy Reid. So that should really say something about his talents. And you obviously don't think that Eric Bieniemy has been soaking up that information for how many years he's been his assistant. So honestly, if you ask me, the Jaguars should go Bieniemy. I think that with the addition of Trevor Lawrence makes it the most attractive head coaching position from a coaching standpoint. I don't really think the area, the marketability, anything like that is any good. If you want to talk about marketability and money and all that kind of stuff and draft capital over the next couple of years, I honestly think in my non-biased opinion, the Jets are the best for that. I think already made talent is LA. Like the Chargers have it. If the Chargers can stay healthy and get a decent offensive line, and play okay defense, and learn how to hold on to a lead, they would be a playoff team this year. They won the last four games, I think, four or five games of the year. They finished off seven and nine. Um, they finally learned how to like close out a game that they were holding a lead to. You got Justin Herbert, who will probably be the offensive rookie of the year. You know They don't really have a run game, but they got great weapons on the outside. They have amazing athletes on the defense. That is the most ready-made team for an NFL head coach, I think. Like, a, a made team, I mean, in, like, a winning team. Like, you could just take that, and if you add a couple pieces in the right minds, they will definitely be a juggernaut. But, yeah, from um materialistic standpoint, like money and draft picks, it's the Jets for me. The most attractive, meaning, like, future talent-wise, I feel like it is the Jaguars. So, each each opening offers something different, which is cool. 
But yeah, definitely there are, and obviously there's a couple guys I didn't mention, like uh, Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator from the San Francisco 49ers, also has garnered some interest. Um, Matt uh, Eberfluss, I believe his name is. Apologize if I'm saying his name right, the defensive coordinator. From the Indianapolis Colts also is garnering some interest. So there's just a ton of great head coaching candidates that are out there this year. It's going to be really exciting to see what what is going to go down. I think this is going to be a great offseason for the NFL. And it's amazing because now it's going to be a great postseason, I feel like, too. So with that being said, Week 17 usually isn't that fantastic. Um, I feel like, you know, all, uh, most of the backups play and, you know, the, the scores are kind of like really lopsided. And that might be true for this week as well. But there were so many playoff implications that I just had to talk about it. So let's dive into the NFL recap right now. Um, if I can find it, that would be just fantastic. Yes, it's right here. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not going to talk, obviously, when you look on the ESPN app, your favorite team is on top. So we'll talk about that probably last with the Jets up. Huh, this is this is interesting. The Bills and the Dolphins. The Dolphins officially eliminated from playoff contention with uh, the Bills blowing out the Dolphins and the Indianapolis Colts uh, winning as well. So let me just pull up something really quick. Yes, right here. Um, before we get into that game, the AF, the AFC playoff picture is set. The Chiefs have the bye in the number one overall seed. The Bills at two, the Steelers at three, Titans at four, Ravens at five, Browns at six, and the Colts at seven. And then in the NFC playoff picture, the Packers clinch the bye with the win at the number one seed. The Saints at number two, the Seahawks at three, the Washington football team at number four, the Buccaneers at five, the Rams at six, and the Bears somehow at seven. We'll get into that later. But going into the first game that is on the slate here, the Bills dominated the Dolphins 56 to 26. It should have been really 56-19, but there was a garbage time touchdown towards the end. Tua Tagovailoa, 361 yards on 58 attempts, one touchdown, garbage time, and three bad interceptions. Now I know I might be a little hard on Tua Tagovailoa here, but I like everyone knows that I'm not a big fan of Tua, and this just proves it as well. A defense that was playing a lot of its backups, and he looked lost out there. The 361 yards stands out, but not on 58 attempts, and especially since the game was just so out of reach for so long. Uh, I don't hate Tua. I wish him all the best. I hope that this season is just the Dolphins holding him back and waiting until his hip is fully healed. I think that his hip is fully healed. I think they just wanted to give him some reps. They wanted to give him some NFL experience, and... And he got it. I mean, if you look at his numbers, they're not terrible. Um, he had 11 touchdowns to five picks. Um, I mean, he doesn't really throw the ball that far. I mean, if you look, it's a very conservative offense. It's a lot of screens and a lot of short passes. Uh, you know, I don't really think he has the strongest arm. He's very accurate. Well, not in this game, but he's very accurate. He didn't do well with the pressure in his face. This just also proves to me, like, how I think the Bills are a legit, like, opponent for the Kansas City Chiefs. Obviously, I'm jumping ahead. Anything could happen. But if they do meet in the AFC Championship game, I think the Chiefs are going to run into some problems with the Bills. If the Bills can play defense like they did against Miami, 
Patrick Mahomes is going to have a little bit of a tough time. And it was very clear, like, the I think when the when the Chiefs played the Dolphins, they jumped out to, like, a 10-0 lead or whatever, but picked him off, like, two times in the first, you know, two drives and stuff like that. If you, if you, if you give Patrick Mahomes multiple defensive looks, like any quarterback, he might struggle a little while, a little bit. And I think that's what the Bills can do. They could give him multiple looks. They could obviously score at the same clip as the Chiefs, honestly, because... I mean, you just Josh Allen is playing at another level. Cole Beasley, if he's healthy enough to play in the playoffs, like he's having a career year. Stephon Diggs had a career year. He's really opened up that offense. And you got guys like John Brown, you know, Isaiah McKenzie, uh, fifth round rookie Gabriel Davis, like Dawson Knox, Tyler Croft. You know, you you got so many weapons all over the field. This might be the team that could almost be an even match for the Chiefs. This is just incredibly. I think that Brian Flores actually lost the Coach of the Year award by losing and missing out on the playoffs. He's a fantastic head coach. There's no doubt in my mind about that. I don't, I, this whole Miami Dolphins situation this year was really weird to me with the relief pitcher comment and everything like that, where if two is not really playing that well, well, it's okay. We have Ryan Fitzpatrick to come in and save the day. Was never a fan of that. I was never really a fan of the way that they treated Fitz this year. I honestly think if Fitz didn't get on the COVID list in this game, and he started over Tua. I think that the Dolphins make the playoffs. Tua just did not look good for me. Um, yeah, and Josh Allen played the first half. He threw for 224 yards and three touchdowns. He threw an interception in there, too. He had an absolutely amazing year. And he just kept going. He kept going with this, with this win. Like, you had to, in a year where it's different than other years where... You know, the two seed doesn't get a bye, like in previous years. He needed to play. Like, you need to keep the momentum going. And I think that the Bills did an excellent job letting him just go out there, running their regular offense, letting him get a half of football, and just saying, go out there and air it out. It doesn't even matter. And he played excellent. And the Bills really are probably the hottest team going into the playoffs. So hats off to them. An unfortunate end for the Miami Dolphins season, but it is what it is. Uh, moving on to the next game here, we have the Ravens. I, there's not really much to say about this game. The Ravens thoroughly dominating the Cincinnati Bengals, um, 38-3. to Lamar Jackson threw for 113 yards and three touchdowns. The Ravens had, uh, let me see here for a second. I saw some crazy stat. The Ravens had 404 yards on the ground in this game. J.K. Dobbins had 160. Lamar Jackson had 97. Gus Edwards had 60. Mark Ingram had 39. A, a wide receiver had 22. They literally just got everyone involved in there. 54 rushing attempts, 404 yards, and two touchdowns. No need to throw the ball. That's why Lamar Jackson's numbers don't look great, but there was literally no need for him to throw the ball at all. Um, you know, what do you expect from the Bengals? I mean, after Joe Burrow... After Joe Burrow went down, they had a couple good, surprising victories, but didn't expect much from this. This year for the Bengals was all about the growth of T. Higgins and Joe Burrow, and T. Higgins had a very good rookie year, I would say. Joe Burrow was having a great rookie year up until his unfortunate injury. Going into the offseason, I believe, for the Cincinnati Bengals, it's all about the offensive line. The weapons are clearly there. you got enough weapons for Joe Burrow. If he comes back healthy at the beginning of the year, you get him an offensive line. Please get him an offensive line. I'm pretty sure before his 
unfortunate season-ending injury. He had he took the most sacks or the second most sacks, the most QB hits, the most QB pressures. Not good for a rookie quarterback. And it could also show what a devastating season-ending injury like this. So get him the protection that he needs so he can be the number one overall pick that you thought he was going to be. Um, Baltimore is going into the playoffs extremely hot. They're the fifth seed. Uh, I don't... Who are they playing? Let me see here real quick. Let me just pull it up. See the disadvantages of doing a podcast by yourself. If you have to look something up, you can't ask the other person to uh, take over and talk, but that's okay. Uh, Baltimore at Tennessee. So we'll get a rematch of last year. Let's see if it can end up a little bit better for Baltimore than it did last year. But not much to say. Baltimore keeps it rolling. Lamar Jackson played fantastic. Um, J.K. Dobbins has a touchdown in like six straight games. Um, also, Lamar Jackson is the first quarterback in NFL history to have two 1,000-yard rushing seasons, so that is pretty incredible. Hats off to Lamar Jackson. He is one of the best running backs in the league. I'm kidding. Don't yell at me. I believe that Lamar Jackson is a top-10 quarterback. Moving on to the next game here, we have the Browns and the Steelers, and congratulations to the Cleveland Browns. They end the longest playoff drought in the NFL. They finally make the playoffs for the first time since 2002. So hats off to them. Uh, We don't give the Browns a lot of love on this show, but Kevin Stefanski and company had a very good year. There's no denying that. Baker Mayfield had, you know, he had such a bad start to the season, and he churned in a a 3,500-yard season with 26 touchdowns and 8 interceptions. Perfect for what they asked him to do. I said it a couple weeks ago, I laminated the fact that Baker Mayfield is a little bit more than a game manager, in my opinion. He goes out there, and Stefanski doesn't say to him, get me the win. He goes, don't mess anything up. That is basically what Baker Mayfield is, and if he doesn't mess anything up, the the Browns win. And they executed their game plan perfectly. Nick Chubb goes over 1,000 yards. And over 10 touchdowns, I believe, and he only played 12 games, so he is just an absolute animal on all levels. Um, They got their wide receivers back from the COVID list. Um, This was a little bit of a nail-biter towards the end. Um, Pittsburgh made this a game. Mason Rudolph made this game through for 315, two touchdowns. The Steelers had nothing to play for. Essentially, they could have wrapped up the second overall. No, they they couldn't wrap up the second overall seed because the Bills beat them. So they were locked into the third seed regardless if they won or lost. They Rested basically all their starters. Um, you know, it was a good game. I'm, I'm happy for Cleveland that, you know, 11-5, and five, you deserve to make the playoffs. I, you know, I, that would just, that would hurt me if they lost and they missed out at 10-6, and six, having their best year that they've had in God knows how long. So congratulations to the Browns winning and making it to the postseason for the first time since 2002. They will face Pittsburgh next week. So let's run it back. So Cleveland at Pittsburgh next week. That is awesome as well. We will move on to the next game here. It is the Vikings and the Lions. And both teams that had nothing to play for played a hell of a football game. The Vikings beat the Lions 37-35. to It was awesome. It was action from start to finish. Kirk Cousins threw for 405 yards and three touchdowns. Alexander Madison came in. And he played a hell of a football game. I'm pretty sure he had 95 rushing yards on the ground and a touchdown. And he also had about 50 receiving yards and a touchdown as well. Justin Jefferson continued and ended his 
amazing rookie season where he broke the record for most receiving yards by a rookie in NFL history. So he had 88 catches for 1,400 yards on the dot and seven touchdowns. A fantastic season from Justin Jefferson. And it's so rare that you see a trade work out for both teams because arguably Stefan Diggs had about the same production. Obviously not catches and yards wise, but with the Bills, but when he was in the Vikings offense, this is exactly what he would put up. So it's so rare that you see a trade work so well on both sides of the football. Uh, Justin Jefferson, a fantastic rookie season. Stephon Diggs, his best ever season in the NFL. That is cool. On the deep, on the Detroit side of the ball, Matthew Stafford might have played his last game in Detroit. Uh, I think Matthew Stafford is a Hall of Fame talent quarterback. I, I've been saying that for years. I don't think he ever gets the credit that he deserves. If this was his swan song in Detroit, it goes out usually as every game happens. He throws for almost 300 yards. He throws three touchdowns and one pick, and they lose by two. If that is not the story of Matthew Stafford's Detroit career, I don't know what is. Uh, Marvin Jones Jr. finished his fantastic career year with, pulling it up right now, he had 76 catches for 978 yards and nine touchdowns. He really stepped up with Kenny Galladay being out for most of the season. He had a fantastic year. He is heading into free agency as well as Kenny Galladay. So I think this is the perfect time for Detroit to tear it all down. Kenny Galladay is probably not going to resign. Marvin Jones probably not going to resign. Trade Matthew Stafford. Let him go to a team that is in a position to win. His career is winding down. I would say he's still only. This is his, this was his 12th season in the league. I think I believe he's only still about 32 or 33, but his career is on the downward trend just given age. He's not going to be in the league much longer. He's a tough son of a gun as well. D despite the injuries he has, he always tries to give it a go. He always tries to go out there. Um, so you know exactly what you're going to get in Matt Stafford, a Hall of Fame talent quarterback who is a tough son of a bitch. Um, so I hope that if he does go somewhere, I called it, I think I said last week or two weeks ago, that I believe that Matthew Stafford will be the quarterback of the Washington football team at the start of next year. So I'm going to stick with that. Um, yeah, Detroit 5-11 and 11 to end the season probably could have been a lot wor worse than that, honestly. Um, Minnesota finished a disappointing 7-9. and nine. They were in a playoff position for a couple weeks, but too inconsistent. I don't know if this is the end of Kirk Cousins in Minnesota, but honestly, Kirk isn't as bad as everyone thinks. He had a really good year, actually. He threw for 4,200 yards, 35 touchdowns, and 11, oh, excuse me, 13 interceptions. So on, on the turnover side of the ball, not great, but he always kept them in games. Uh, just a disappointing season overall for Minnesota. I think we should move on now to the Giants and the Cowboys. 23-19 is the final score. The Giants win and put themselves in a position to somehow win the NFC at least, but they did not as Washington did beat the Eagles later on. We will go into that in a little bit, but Giants pull off the victory. Uh, they were winning by a decent amount at halftime. I believe the score was, yes, it was 20 to nine and they only scored three points the rest of the way. So the Giants' offense looked actually pretty good in the first half and then just fell off a cliff in the second half. Uh, Daniel Jones played pretty well. He had 229 yards and two touchdowns and a pick. Uh, Wayne Gallman almost fumbled the game away. I didn't know that you can reclaim possession with your gooch, but that is exactly what Wayne Gallman did on that fumble. So he probably crapped his pants a little bit when he fumbled that ball, but 
for the time being, it was a fantastic end to the game. I thought it was very NFC East-like. It was probably the most NFC East play of the year, where the team is about to win the game, get the game-winning first down, and they almost fumbled the ball away. So that sounds about right. On uh, Dallas' side of the ball, I think it's clear that Andy Dalton was a very good you know, filler, I feel like. For Dak Prescott, he's probably going to be going. He's going to test free agency. I think Mike McCarthy should be one and done in Dallas. He's clearly not the answer. He doesn't have a personality. He, It's just clear that really Aaron Rodgers and company carried him to whatever success that he had in Green Bay. I don't think that he really contributed much. But it's a disappointing end to a disappointing season for both teams. I don't care if you're 6-10 and 10 and you make the playoffs. It's a disappointing season regardless. I think Michael Fabiano said it best where he said, even though Philly kind of like tanked in the, the last quarter of the game to give Washington the win, Washington was the best team from the NFC least. I think their 7-9 record isn't as telling. I think they could have been an over 500 team if Alex Smith played the entire season. Um, it saved them the embarrassment. I feel like if the Giants or the Cowboys had to play the Tampa Bay Bucks in the first round, of the playoffs, they were both going to get smoked, and it saved them the embarrassment, and it, saved, and it got them a better draft pick. So, right then and there, I think that it was an exciting season for the Giants, especially since they weren't really considered to go anywhere. 6-10 and 10 doesn't really make, make you think that you went anywhere, but, you know, they were in position to win the division in Week 17. So that's exciting. Um, this is perfect for the Giants, honestly. You get a brand new head coach in there, obviously one that looks like he knows exactly what he's doing. He looks like he's going to be a great head coach in Joe Judge. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the players get all that experience, you know, going almost going into the playoffs. I, I think playoff experience is invaluable. I think that if you have a chance to go to the playoffs, you go. So, But the Giants did the, the best thing. They won the game. They put themselves in the position to make the playoffs, and then they didn't make it. So you still get a good draft pick, you get all that experience, you get all that excitement for next year. So hopefully the Giants will be a better team going into next year because they showed us a lot of great things, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Moving on to the next game, you have the Buccaneers and the Falcons. And honestly, um, this is another swan song, I feel like, for a player. Matt Ryan, whose career has probably flown under the radar most of his career, except for his MVP season and their epic collapse in the Super Bowl against Tom Brady. Finished off a pretty, pretty decent season. Where he, this is probably going to be his last. I feel like every point that I made for Detroit is probably one I'm going to make for Atlanta as well. Matt Ryan is a Hall of Fame quarterback, potential Hall of Fame quarterback talent. He threw for 4,500, I had trouble saying that, 4,581 yards, 26 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. 4-12 and 12 does not, so I think Atlanta was a lot better than their 4-12 and 12 record. They're just the same as the Los Angeles Chargers. They don't know how to hold a lead. They've had lead in, leads in countless games this year. Probably could have been 7-9 and nine or 8-8, eight and eight, but 4-12 and 12 is where they stand. And Tom Brady just wasn't letting this game go. Tom Brady, let's give credit where credit's due. I urge you to find me any 43-year-old quarterback that would go out. You know what? Yeah, they did give him supreme weapons. He had Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski. You know, so many weapons he had this year. The man went out and threw 4,600 yards and 40 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. Give credit where credit's due. That is incredible for a man his age. And he took the Bucks to their first playoff berth since 2007. I give Tom Brady all the credit in the world. You know, he had an up-and-down season, but at the end of the day, his last three games were spectacular. He threw for over 1,000 yards in his last three games, 
and just turned it up. He is getting hot at the right time. The offense is clicking at the right time. They get Ronald Jones back from the COVID list. This is a fantastic win for the Tampa Bay Bucks. Now, they do have to go to Washington to play, but I don't think it's going to be a problem. I think that their offense is just too high-powered right now. Granted, Washington has a great defense, but with all those weapons, there's almost there's only so much that you can do. Um, yeah, but Tampa Bay is playing fantastic football right now. Uh, 44-27 was the final score. Tampa Bay move on to 11-5. and And they play Washington in the first round of the playoffs next week. Moving on to the Packers and the Bears. I, I honestly can't even explain this one to you. I really can't. Like, I mean, pardon me, my goodness. Um, I mean, on the Chicago side of the ball. I don't know how they still made the playoffs at 8-8, eight and eight and they lost. I thought that they had a win, and they were in. Clearly, something else happened where, I guess, a team lost, and it moved Chicago into the spot, but... <laughs> Nevertheless, Chicago does somehow make the playoffs, so good for them. I think that's incredible for them. They will have to play the New Orleans Saints in the first round. So, not really the worst matchup in the world for Chicago, I feel like. I feel like if they had to go to the Rams or they had to play Seattle or even Tampa Bay or Washington, it would have been worse. Now, I feel like New Orleans is a bit of a fraud. Defensively, defensively they play good. Offensively, they've kind of struggled all year, I feel like, especially with Drew Brees aging and not being able to throw the ball over 25 yards, but I'm sure New Orleans will find a way to win, but I think Chicago will give them a run for their money. I think this is the best opponent that Chicago could have got out of every other playoff team, definitely. Business as usual for Aaron Rodgers, I mean, (laughs) dude is the MVP, and it's so unfortunate to say that he's the MVP when I think that We'll get into that in a little later. I'm not even going to say it right now. But 48 touchdown passes, five interceptions. Dude was just playing straight Madden all season. I honestly think that Green Bay drafted a quarterback in the first round with the only purpose being let's piss off Aaron Rodgers so that he could play MVP caliber football. I really think that that's it. They, you know, Jordan Love's going to get cut when Aaron Rodgers retires. No intention of playing him. Obviously, I'm kidding, but. I really feel like that was like the tip of the iceberg where Rodgers was like, all right, let's run it. Here I come, MVP season. And he put in one of the best MVP seasons probably ever. So fantastic for Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Jones with a clutch touchdown, not only for himself, but for me as well. Your boy Peter is the tackling the Rona. Yes, that is the name of my fantasy football league with my friends. I am the champion of fantasy football. I think a 17-week season is horrible. So Chris... If you are listening, let's try and work on that a little bit. I was waiting for me to win so I could say that, so I didn't just sound like a salty loser. But yes, Aaron Jones helped me win the title, so yes, congratulate me, please. Um, you know, message me, you know, DM me, text me, whatever you want. Throw your king at congratulations. I'm just kidding, but finally I win that league after being the San Jose Sharks of that fantasy football league, always being a one or two or three seed and just never winning, so... Finally, silence the haters. So next time you see the first podcast that you see us on video, I will be wearing a crown for no apparent reason, just because. Anyway, let's get back to the game. 
Uh, yes, 35-16 was the final score. Chicago, I, what the hell are they doing with Mitchell Trubisky? First off, David Montgomery is not as bad as a running back as everyone thinks. I don't understand why he catches so much hate. He proved this season that he definitely is a workhorse running back. He ran for over 1,000 yards. He also had over 50 catches, so I really don't want to hear it anymore. He's definitely a three-down workhorse back. Uh, Trubisky probably bought himself another couple years in Chicago by getting this playoff berth. The most inconsistent playoff team out of all of them, somehow. I think they started off the year like 5-1 and one and ended up 8-8 eight and eight and still making the playoffs. So, uh, I guess hats off to them. Matt Nagy also probably bought himself another year in Chicago. So, hats off to Chicago for playing mediocre football and saving jobs. Let's move on to the next game here. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I didn't even know that this was the final score of this game because I could care less about this football game. The Raiders... How did they do this? Oh, with 24 seconds left. Josh Jacobs ran for a touchdown. Yeah, you're hearing it first. I had no idea that this would ha this actually happened. Oh, and they won on a two-point conversion? Wow, this was probably the greatest game of the week that I, no one watched. The Las Vegas Raiders finish off a disappointing 8-8 eight eight season by beating the 5-11 Denver Broncos 32-31 on a touchdown run by Josh Jacobs with 24 seconds left and then a two-point conversion catch by Darren Waller. Wow, so that's pretty cool. Um, I don't really have much to say about this. Uh, Drew Locke continues to confuse everyone on if he is the answer in Denver or not. I think with the money that Denver is going into the offseason with, I think that they at least bring in some competition for Drew Locke. Uh, Melvin Gordon capped off a pretty decent... Am I the only one that Melvin Gordon is the best running back that never gets 1,000 yards? He finished off the season with 986 rushing yards. Guy, guy gets paid like a top running back and just never rushes for 1,000 yards. Still hasn't rushed for 1,000 yards in his career. Jerry Judy capped off a rocky um, a rocky rookie season with 52 catches and 856 yards and three touchdowns. A decent season for a guy that probably wouldn't have been drafted in the first round. But hopefully he can find a little bit more consistency in year two. He does definitely look like a great player. Uh, moving on to the... Las Vegas side of the ball, uh, Derek Carr is probably still the answer in Las Vegas. I don't see them getting anyone else. Josh Jacobs finished off a weird year as well with over 1,000 yards and 12 touchdowns. I really don't think he was that great this year. That's just my opinion. I, I think that there were games where he showed out like this game, and then there were games where he was just terrible. Really, the MVP of the Las Vegas Raiders was Darren Waller as he was last year, I believe, as well. He finished off with 107 catches for almost 1,200 yards and nine touchdowns. Flies so far under the radar this season as the second-best tight end in the league with George Kittle being hurt and then just Travis Kelsey being an absolute monster. It's so unfortunate that Darren Waller is considered probably right now the second-best tight end in football, or even third, uh, because if he played probably 10 years ago, he'd probably be one of the best tight ends in the league, and he still is one of the best tight ends in the league, but... Um, yeah, I guess a hell of a football game. This is probably the only game that I didn't even really give any consideration to even watching. And I kind of feel bad now that it was a fantastic game and I didn't watch. But hats off to the, Ra the Raiders finishing at 500. And this probably spells the end for Vic Vangio. Uh, like I said, this, this is the type of guy that I feel like succeeds in any other role other than offensive. I mean, head coach. He's a great defensive coordinator. Probably isn't a good. He doesn't. He's an old school guy. Probably doesn't relate to today's NFL, like a younger candidate would. So let's see what happens there. This is Black Monday overall. Maybe after this airs, he'll get fired. Who knows? 
But um, yeah, let's move on to another game here. Colts clinch their playoff berth with <laughs> poor Jonathan Taylor had a career day, had set the record for most rushing yards in a game by an Indianapolis Colt, and it flies under the radar because of Mr. Derrick Henry with 30 rushing attempts for 253 yards and two touchdowns. He carried them to the playoff berth, and we live to see another day from Phillip Rivers. Uh, it was rumored that if the Colts would not make the playoffs, he would retire. I'm still thinking that um, once they lose or whatever happens in the playoffs, you never know. After the season is over, he's going to retire, I believe, and I believe the same for Drew Brees as well. But uh, Jaguars finish off a one and fifteen season. Uh, they get the tre- they win the Trevor Lawrence sweep- sweepstakes officially. Uh, not really much to say else from this game. I mean, you knew that they were tanking for Trevor Lawrence when they started Mike Glennon the last two two weeks of the season. Uh, Doug Marone gets fired. Uh, let's see who Jacksonville replaces him with. But uh, it's a good situation, I feel like. And uh, hats off to Frank Reich, who ever since he stepped in to the Indianapolis Colts head coaching position, he has done a fantastic job. And they will play the Buffalo Bills. In the first round, I believe. Yes, Indianapolis at Buffalo. So Frank Reich will return to Buffalo where he did play quarterback. Can he upset the Bills? I don't think it's going to happen, but you never know, especially with Phillip Rivers where one week he could look awful and then he could also go for 400 yards and four touchdowns the next week. So you never know. I think that's going to be one of the better games of the week, but we'll see. Uh, That's really all I have to say about that game. I don't really have much to say about this one. Uh, Chargers and the Chiefs. The Chargers finish off winning four straight games. Uh, seven or nine season. The KC Chiefs had nothing to play for. They had the number one seed wrapped up. They lose 38 to 21, but it doesn't matter. They finish 14 to clinch the number one seed. Get a playoff by uh, all the backups played well, I guess. I mean, Keenan Allen also didn't play for the Chargers. Justin Herbert finished off his fantastic rookie season with 4,300 yards, 31 touchdowns, and 10 picks, which I don't think anyone saw coming. So uh, hats off to him. He looks like he will be one of the better quarterbacks in the league within the next two to three years. So hats off to him. Chad Henney stepped in and threw for 248 yards and two touchdowns. So good for Chad. He gets his one time a year playing, and he does well. So. Good for him. Uh, really, like I said, not much to say about this. Uh, Anthony Lynn gets fired, so we'll see. I I think you have to bring in an offensive-minded coach. I mean, because with a defensive-minded coach, Justin Herbert did that in his rookie year. So you can imagine what he would do with an offensive-minded coach. I think that's the number one priority for the Los Angeles Chargers going into the offseason. Moving on to the next game, you have uh, Snooze Fest in the... Los Angeles Rams and Cardinals, and um, well, I was going to say St. Louis Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals. This was for the playoffs. Whichever team won, they were in. And it's unfortunate for the Cardinals because Kyler Murray got hurt early in the game. He came in with an in- injury designation, and he left for about two and a half quarters, I'd say, maybe more. He came in with about seven minutes left in the third quarter. Threw some rockets, didn't really look himself, though, wasn't as mobile. I give him all the credit in the world for obviously having an injury that hampered him enough to miss most of the game and still coming in and trying to win the game. Uh, But also hats off to John Wofford, who his LinkedIn account says that he was doing other things other than playing quarterback professionally in the NFL. So good for him. His first NFL game, he did throw a pick, but he also had about 300 total yards of offense himself. 
he was the perfect game manager for the Rams. They didn't really need much. I don't even think they had an offensive touchdown. I think they kicked like six field goals. 18-7 to seven was the final score. Um, but, yeah, he got the job done, and hopefully Jared Goff will be ready to play next week. I don't know if he will be able to. As Who did I say they're playing again? It is the Rams and Seahawks. Rams at Seahawks. So that's a little bit – that's kind of tough. But good for John Wofford. He gets his first NFL win in the biggest game probably of the season for the Rams. Hats off to them. Uh, like I said, disappointing end for the Cardinals. I think Kyler Murray is fantastic. I think that he needs to get better accuracy-wise. But 8-8 eight eight is disappointing for the Cardinals, especially since I think they started off like 6-2 six, six and two or 6-3. and three, So on the defensive side of the ball and game plan-wise, I think they need to do a little bit better. So Cliff Kingsbury... You have a lot of work to do in the offseason, but good season overall. Moving on to another game, the Seahawks and the 49ers. The Seahawks needed... Did they even need to win this game? I don't even think they needed to win this game. I think they needed to win this game and the Packers to lose for them to like get the number one seed or something like that. Seattle's probably the worst 12-4 and team I've ever seen. Um, their defense is awful. Um, hopefully they start to turn up a little bit in the playoffs, but let Russ cook. Russ had a good game. Russ has been a little off lately. I'm not going to lie. Past couple like past like five weeks, I'd say Russ has been not himself. So, uh, hopefully there's no underlying issues there, but Seattle getting into the playoffs is dangerous, especially having home field advantage, despite having no fans, uh, going to Seattle. No one ever wants to do that. So it, it it's going to be tough for the Rams, but San Francisco finishes off a disappointing 6-10 season, but I give them a total pass because their basically entire team was injured the whole year. What did you expect C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins to do a quarterback with basically no one, uh, with Jeff Wilson running the ball for basically most of the season? Um, George Kittle came back to have seven catches and 68 yards. He finishes off a disappointing injury-riddled season. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it would be a different story. Imagine having... This was the perfect opportunity for three teams in one division to make the playoffs, possibly even four with the NFC West, and San Francisco had an injury-riddled season. So I think if they were totally healthy, I think their record is flipped. I think they wind up 6-10 and 10 with a playoff berth. So hopefully um, they return fully healthy next year and they have a good year because San Francisco is too talented to go 6-10. and 10. Uh, Moving on. We had the Saints and the Panthers, and the Saints absolutely destroyed the Panthers. Uh, Drew Brees, in probably his final regular season game of his career, threw for 200 yards and three touchdowns. It looked absolutely automatic from the machine. I call him the machine because the dude is just... I love Drew Brees. Dude is just like, goes out there, he's a football machine. Gets his ass kicked all over the field, still goes out there and plays great, or as good as he possibly can. So 200 yards and three touchdowns from Brees. Ty Montgomery, the 86th string running back. For the New Orleans Saints, had over 100 rushing yards. That's, that should tell you something. Emmanuel Sanders played well. Jared Cook played well. Uh, well-oiled machine at 12-4, and four, rolling straight into the playoffs. Uh, they are playing the Bears, which I think could pose a problem for them. But at the end of the day, I think that Drew Brees knows that this is his last season, his last opportunity to make it or win a Super Bowl. So he is going to give it his all. The Saints are going to give it their all for them. And I think they're a dark horse team to make and win the Super Bowl. So hats off to New Orleans destroying Carolina. This is probably the only game that I could say that, uh, I mean, what was Matt Rule going to do? 
His top two running backs were out. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater did not play that well. P.J. Walker came. Oh, my God. I didn't even realize this. Jesus. I'm looking at the, the stats right now. I knew P.J. Walker came into the game. I didn't know he went 5 for 14 with three picks. Oh, my goodness. So P.J. Walker showing why he was a quarterback in the XFL, clearly. Wow. Uh, you're hearing that firsthand <laughs> from me. I didn't even realize that. But... um. If this was the end for Bridgewater, which I don't think it is, for him in Carolina, I, he had a good year. He is a perfect game manager. I mean, there's not, he's not going to go out there and win you football games, like just with his arm or his legs. He's a good quarterback. I always like Teddy Bridgewater. I like his comeback story. The fact that he's even able to play football right now is fantastic. But a disappointing end to an, a pretty okay season for Carolina. The record at 5-11 and 11 doesn't show that it's okay, but... Uh, they played a heck of a lot of close games, and they have a perfect foundation for the future. So Matt Rule is in prime position right now to win soon with this team, I feel like. Moving on to um, the second-to-last game here, we have an absolute barn burner in the Tennessee Titans and the Houston Texans. And this is what I wanted to say before when I mentioned Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry eclipses 2,000 rushing yards and probably the most quiet 2,000-yard rushing season ever. I mean, we've only had eight of them now, but I feel like this got really no recognition. I feel like the only time Derrick Henry was either on TV or getting any highlights was him stiff-arming people in, into the stratosphere. Um, I feel like no one really even bothered to look at his rushing stats. <laughs> My friend Ethan pointed this out to me uh, yesterday that I called Derrick Henry rushing for 2,000 yards early on in the season. And I didn't even realize that I called that, but thank you for pointing that out. So I will take full credit for calling his 2,000-yard season. He finished off with 2,023 rushing yards, and he also finished off with an amazing game. He rushed 34 times for 250 yards and two touchdowns. He is an absolute monster. Ryan Tannehill also finished with about 250 total yards and three total touchdowns. Deshaun Watson doing... All that he can from this poor man. I feel so bad for him and J.J. Watt. Michelle Watson plays a great game. Throws for 365 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. Brandon Cooks had a very quiet 1,000-yard season as well. He had 81 catches for 1,150 yards and six touchdowns. I also believe that Brandon Cooks um, becomes the first player in NFL history or one of very few that has a 1,000-yard season with four different teams. Uh, with the Saints with the Texans now, with the Rams, and then with the Patriots, he's had a 1,000-yard season. So quietly one of the most underrated wide receivers of the past like 10 years, I feel like, that just no one talks about because he gets shipped around so much. But he had a very good year. Um, David Johnson finished off the year strong. I mean, 691 yards and six touchdowns really doesn't show anything, but he also had, um, in the last five games, he had... 300 of those yards and three touchdowns. So good for him. Um, you know, I still don't think that they won that. And I mean, there's no way that they won that DeAndre Hopkins trade, but David Johnson playing well at, at towards the end of the season. There's a lot to, I mean, there's really not a lot to look forward to. Never mind. I mean, they don't even have a first round pick. I'm trying to sugarcoat it here. Deshaun Watson is trapped in Houston. Um, I just feel bad. I hope they get the, the head coaching job right. I mean, there's not much that a head coach can really do there. They are desperate for talent on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I, I don't know what they're going to do with J.J. Watt, but if 
I think Houston had any shred of respect for J.J. Watt and the fact that he's a Hall of Fame player, they would trade him to a contender because he probably has about two healthy years left. And he's stuck on a 4-12 and Houston team. So Titans do clinch the division and clinch the fourth seed. And they... Pardon me, my goodness, I am struggling over here today. Sweating like a pig. Um, they play Baltimore. So that's probably going to be the toughest matchup to call. Um, they look game. 41-38 was the final score. As long as Derrick Henry can run the ball like he did and A.J. Brown catches 10 passes for 151 yards and a touchdown, I think that Tennessee could be another dark horse to make the Super Bowl. Tannehill's playing fantastic football. Ryan Tannehill had a fantastic season. Really did. Ryan Tannehill, I'm going to pull it up right now. I'm going to pull up his rushing stats. Ryan Tannehill had 40 total touchdowns, over 4,400 yards of offense, and seven picks. If there's anyone that had a, tur- a career turnaround better than Ryan Tannehill in the last five years, please let me know, because he went from being a bust first-round pick to signing one of the biggest free, um, one of the biggest quarterback extensions in NFL history and backing it up. 40 total touchdowns, seven picks. Congratulations to Ryan Tannehill. I feel I feel great for him and his family. Uh, Tennessee is eleven and five. Congratulations to them. Uh, Mike Vrabel with his first head coaching season where he didn't go nine and seven. I think he went nine and seven for like four straight years. So hats off to him as well. He's a fantastic one of the smartest head coaches in the league. Tennessee gets it done, and they are a team to watch out for in the playoffs. Now moving on to the final game, I have a little bit a little piece to say about this. Moving on to the Washington football team and the Eagles. Washington wins 20-14 and makes it to the playoffs to face the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home. Uh, You know, whatever. I mean, Alex Smith gets it done. Uh, What I really want to talk about on that side of the ball is the Eagles, who took out a quarterback, took out Jalen Hurts at the end of the game to tank, essentially, to get the better pick. And to screw the Giants out of the playoffs. Now, I'm not even saying that the Eagles would have won, but putting in Nate Zudfeld, or whatever his name is, over Jalen Hurts looks like a tank job to me, especially since Jalen Hurts was playing an adequate game. He had two rushing touchdowns, over 100 total yards, nothing that screams out, but they were it was tied for a while. So I think it's clear that Doug Peterson and company were tanking for the better pick at the end I think it's funny how, like, I could understand if it was, like, 30-7 to 7 or something going into the fourth quarter, and and they were like, all right, like, we'll sit Jalen Hurts because, you know, we don't want him getting hurt or anything like that. So we'll put in Nate Zutfeld. But I think it was, like, tied 14-14 going into the fourth. I didn't watch much of the game. Uh, I was watching a show with my girlfriend uh, on TLC called Thousand Pound Sisters. Uh, yeah, you could laugh at me all you want, but it's a fantastic show. I really enjoy watching it, and watching these people's weight loss journey is, is something special. It's also a kind of funny show, but (laughs) getting back to the game, I read about it later on in the night. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I love these Giants fans that are saying, oh my God, you screw us out of the playoffs. Like, yes, I said before, playoff experience isn't valuable, but getting your ass blown out by the greatest quarterback of all time probably isn't great playoff experience. So I think that Doug Peterson saved the Giants rather than screwed them, to be honest with you. But um, good for Washington. I feel like they were far and away the best team in the NFC least this year. Like I said before, their seven and nine record probably should have been nine and seven. 
They lost to the Giants once where they probably should have beat them in overtime. And I'm sure there was a couple games in there where they could have won. But, um, yeah, I'm, they could be one of those teams that surprises that surprises people. I'm not going to say that they're going to beat the Tampa Bay Bucks, but they have a shot. And they're definitely going to make it a closer game than the Giants or the Cowboys would have. So moving on to um, the game that I wanted to talk about most. Not so much the game. I mean, there's nothing to talk about in this game. The Patriots beat the Jets 28-14 to in a snooze fest. Uh, Sam Darnold started off the game good, and then the fourth quarter it fell apart, and it became clearly apparent to me that Sam Darnold it probably played his last game in a Jets uniform. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Sam Darnold is a bad quarterback. I think he's a bad quarterback in New York. I think in a different situation, he could blossom into something pretty special. But it's time. Yes, I'm finally saying it is time for the Jets to move on from Sam Darnold and choose either probably Zach Wilson or Justin Fields. I was going to say Justin Herbert. (laughs) But either Justin Fields or Zach Wilson. You have to start fresh. You're going to come in with a new quarterback the man has already learned two different systems in his first three years in the league. Trade him somewhere else. Let him learn a system where he could actually learn. I'm really feeling Indianapolis or San Francisco as potential landing spots, especially since I heard that Shanahan is on the outs with Jimmy Garoppolo, and he, he probably played his last game, whenever he played his last game. Probably played his last game in San Francisco. So get him in a system that's proven to work, and he could use all of his intangibles because it's just clearly not working out here. And I hope I hope he succeeds. I love Sam Darnold. Everyone knows that's listening. I love Sam Darnold. Honestly, if it was up to me, I would get someone in here with a great system and keep him. But that's just not the case. You're doing him a disservice in his career, and you're doing the Jets fans a disservice by making him making us wait to see a little bit of a glimmer of hope. But Sam Darnold clearly is not the answer here anymore. I hope I wish him the best in his career. Uh, I hope. He goes on to win a Super Bowl at some point in his career. I think he deserves it. I think he's that talented, just not in New York. Now, getting on to what I wanted to talk about before. I posed this question on Instagram a couple days ago, and I didn't really get much responses. So I want people to text me or DM me or whatever if you're listening up until this point now, which is almost an hour and 15 minutes into this. We are wrapping up. Um, I can't thank you enough for listening up until this point if you do. Uh, last question I want to pose, if you are the general manager of the New York Jets, who are you taking at number two? Do you take Zach Wilson? Do you take Justin Fields? Do you take Penny Seawall? Do you trade down? Do you take Devontae Smith if you trade down? Do you take Jamar Chase if you take down? You let me know what you want to do. I know there are people that are out there that still believe in Sam Darnold. This one kid will argue with me to the death that Sam Darnold is the answer in New York, and I agreed with him for the most part. I don't think he's the answer in New York anymore. Um, Who do you take? Let me know at number two. I personally think, after watching the game yesterday and watching Sam this year, I think you take Justin Fields. Uh, I I don't believe so much in Zach Wilson than everyone else does, only because I know this doesn't matter, but to me it just makes me feel better about a prospect. He plays in an independent conference. BYU does not have a conference designation. They don't play the greatest competition. And I know Ohio State doesn't play the greatest competition either. But at least they have, you know, they have to go up against Penn State, Michigan, you know, teams like that that are, that can play good football, stuff like that, good defensive football. The best opponent that BYU played this year was Coastal Carolina. 
And granted, yes, they did finish like 10th or 11th in the standings, but it, it just doesn't... I don't know what it is. They played a lot of lower competition teams. And I'm not saying that Zach Wilson doesn't have all the intangibles, because he really does, but he's also injury prone as well. So I'm leaning more towards Justin Fields based off of what I saw on Friday and based off of, I, I think he's just a straight baller. I really do. I think that Justin Fields, I denied it for the longest time thinking that Justin Fields wouldn't be great. And that's only because really, I don't think that Ohio State quarterbacks can succeed in the NFL. And I've been pretty much proven up until this point. But I think Justin Fields could be that guy that can change that narrative. And also, you know, you can't not draft someone because of the, the school they come from. Especially if they're talented. So let me know what you think. I'm wrapping it up with that question. I leave it up to you guys. Uh, you let me know what you think. Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Devontae Smith, Penny Seawald. You trade down. Grab someone else. Micah Parsons. You let me know what you think. I really want to hear everyone's take because this is going to be a topic of conversation on this show for months to come probably. And when we do have our New York Jets guest on, that is the first question I am going to ask him. So this is episode 35. This is the last episode of season one of the Take This Hell Sports podcast. We are starting fresh with season two next week. We wanted to start off season two at the beginning of the year, but I feel like this was a necessary episode. And I also don't want to start off a season without Matthew here with me too. So uh, we're cheating a little bit here. Episode 35 will be the last of season one. I hope you guys enjoyed season one. We enjoyed season one. We're coming with the heat in season two. We're really looking forward to it. I feel I feel really cool saying that we have seasons. I don't know why. I, I just think that's really cool. But thank you so much for your continued support. I said it at the beginning of the show. I'll say it again here. You guys are what drives us to keep going. And I appreciate you guys making my hobby feel amazing. Like I love, I live for this. Like I wake up and I want to do this. I, I want to... I, I want to do this as a career, and it sucks that I didn't really realize that until, like, last year after I was done with school and stuff like that, but thank you for letting me live out my dream, and I appreciate you guys listening. Um, but if you haven't, follow us, please, on Instagram at TTLSportsWW. We have some fat. That is where we post the most content. On Twitter at TakeThisLSport1. TikTok at TTLSports. We are on 20 plus, 1 million, whatever, streaming platforms. We're on so many different platforms at Take This L Sports. Please sub to us on YouTube. We are so close to our 200. We had a goal of 200 subscribers in the first year, and we got so close. We got 192. Really, our, our initial goal was 100, but we blew that out of the water within the first like few months. So we set a new one at 200, but we are so close. Please if you aren't subscribed, tell your friends who enjoy sports content to subscribe. And if you aren't subscribed, please do. We appreciate it. It means the most to us. We always get so excited when we see a new subscriber. Thank you so much for listening. Please answer my question. Let me know what you think, what the Jets should do at number two. Until next time, I am Peter Anderson. This was season one of the Take This L Sports podcast. And until next time, thank you so much for watching. Go Jets.